is a bottle of Chateau Lafitte Rothschild, 1978. Uh, this is actually one of the um, highest priced uh, vintages from this particular uh, winery. Uh, this was actually given to Brenda and I as a gift on our 10-year anniversary from some friends of ours in Chicago. Uh, it's, uh, our friends, are, they, they have done very, very well for themselves. And uh, so they gifted us this, and they said uh, we should hold on to it until our 25th or possibly our 50th uh, anniversary. Uh, apparently, there's less than 100 bottles uh, left uh, in existence uh, in the world. They didn't tell us uh, what it cost, but I know for a fact that if we were to bring it to auction today, uh, it would sell, and we could purchase probably any new vehicle on almost any lot in Grand Rapids. Um, it's, uh, it's not priceless, but it's the closest thing that I have to priceless uh, in our house. In fact, it's the only thing that we actually list on our home insurance, um, not even my wife's wedding ring. And uh, we decided uh, that we were going to open it up today because it felt like the day to do it with our text. So I actually uncorked it uh, a little earlier so that I could open it without too much trouble. This is from Costco. This is not, <laughs> this is not a, a Chateau Lafitte Rothschild. Um, There's actually some leftover wine that I added water to from a recipe my wife had. Uh, I would never waste such an expensive bottle of wine. In fact, quite honestly, if I actually owned a bottle of wine that was that expensive, I would sell it, and I would buy a car. It wouldn't be a new car, but I would buy a car with that bottle. That is actually... <laughs> Uh, something that I just put a sticker on last night, uh, just to be able to talk. I promise I will not lie to you the rest of the morning, but our text today hopefully will allow this particular illustration to make it come to life. If you have your Bibles, I'd love you to open up to Psalm 23 this morning. Psalm 23. We're going to read starting in verse 1 through verse Five, which is our text this morning, and I would love it if we could actually all do this together. So if you have your Bible, uh, um, you can read along in your Bible with me, or you can read it off the front screen, but would you all stand with me, and we will read Psalm 23, verses 1 through 5 together. Starting in verse 1, the Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. He guides me along the right paths for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil my cup overflows. The reading of the Lord's word. You may be seated. Um, I have loved this series that we've been doing in Psalm 23. 
Uh, it's been a phenomenal series for me personally. We weren't planning on doing Psalm 23. We actually had planned on doing uh, the book of Romans, and we felt like at the last minute, the Spirit said to us, I want you to hold off on Romans. I want you to do that uh, sometime this next year. And, I, and, I, and we started saying, well, all right, God, then what do you want us to actually talk about? Because we got to talk about something. And we felt like uh, through some conversations, the Spirit said, talk about Psalm 23. And I was like, oh, okay, that, that seems interesting. That seems kind of fun. And what I've realized is God wanted me to hear this as much as anybody else in this room or online. Um, I, I'm afraid, to be honest, that once we finish this up next week, next week is our, is our last week in this series, and oh, it's going to be so good, I can't wait for next week as well. But I'm afraid that I'm going to kind of get past it and kind of begin to forget some of the lessons that God's been trying to teach me. I'm afraid that you're going to as well. You see, Psalm 23 holds the key ingredient to the full life. The life of riches. And I don't mean riches in the sense of like you're going to have mad money and be able to pour a bottle of Chateau Lafitte out on the floor. Like I'm talking about the kind of life that actually brings you fulfillment and meaning and purpose that all of us are longing for. The, the thing that brings joy into our lives. The, Psalm 23 holds the key ingredient to that. And, and so what I thought we would do this morning before we dive into the second half of verse 5, which is our text for today. My cup overflows. I wanted us to go back and just be reminded of where God has had us and how he's bringing it up. In fact, what we're talking about today is in many ways the psalmist's uh, attempt to bring us back to the very beginning. Uh, the very first week, we learned that Yahweh is our provider and our protector. And as a result, then, we lack nothing. Okay, Because he protects and provides, we learned in verse week, we don't have to worry. We can actually rest in God's presence. We can walk wherever he tells us to walk with boldness and without fear. And even when it gets scary, which is verse 3, we learn that he will be with us. God will protect us. Austin uh, reminded us of God's protection in week 4. And then last week, we remember that God invites us to a feast. Do you remember that? A feast at his table, even though we used to be his enemies. He has now invited us into that feast through his death and resurrection so that we could now be his friends. And the reason that Christians may have enemies, but the Christian has none, is because no matter what people think of us, we don't hate an enemy, we love an enemy. In fact, we invite our enemies to feast at God's table with us because God's bounty is, as we're going to learn today, overflowing. You see, today we're going to learn that God's feast is not just a reminder that we lack nothing, it's also the reality that there is more of everything. God is lavish. God is lavish. Our cup overflows. Now, within this, there's kind of two things this morning that I think God wants us to grab, all right? There is a truth to learn, and there is a truth to live, all right? Uh, throughout the psalm, we have all these truths that God wants us to learn. He wants us to know about himself and about ourselves. There's these things that we're supposed to learn, but they're always intended not simply to be things we learn, but then things that we live. And so this morning, I want us to talk about what God wants us to learn from Psalm 23, 5. He anoints my head with oil. My cup overflows. What is this lavish meal that God has invited us into? Uh, have you ever been to a banquet? where they're serving prime rib. Where's the prime rib station? 
the very end of the buffet, isn't it, right? right? You got to get your plate, you got to walk past the chicken, and then walk past the potato and the pasta with all kinds of sauces and a salad and then like two or three kinds of vegetables because by the time you get to the prime rib station, they want that plate to be full, right? Because they're only going to slice you off a tiny little bit of prime rib, aren't they? Like, that's legit. You see that up on the screen? Look at that little tiny slice. I got a Ron Swanson kind of appetite. You know what I'm saying? Like, I skip right past the chicken, right past the potatoes and the pasta. I definitely ain't touching that salad, and we ain't getting no veggies. I'm showing up with an empty plate. Homeboy can look at me and try to slice me a little tiny slice of prime rib, and I'm going to be like, yo, man, I'm not here for the millimeter slice. I'm here for the inches thick slice. You know what I'm saying? Like, don't be skimping with me. Why do they serve you such a small amount of prime rib? Because prime rib is like 2% of the meat that comes from a cow. And it's one of the most flavorful cuts, which means that it's one of the most expensive cuts so there's one of the least uh, quantities of it, and it is of the highest quality, and they don't want to waste it, right? They don't want some six-year-old kid walking up, getting a three-inch thick slice of prime rib that they take one bite of. They're like, we ain't wasting this stuff. So I'm like, that's fine, but you just know you're going to see my face a lot because I'm coming up here for those little tiny slices a lot. They don't want to waste it. But see, what this psalm is teaching us, what... This truth that we're supposed to learn this morning is that with God, there is no waste because he is limitless. With God, there is no waste because he is limitless. It's kind of like being accused of wasting air. If you were to go outside and take a breath and you're like, yo, man, you're wasting all the rest of the oxygen that you're not using up. Well, it's impossible. You, you, you can't waste it because it's limitless. The trees keep producing more of it. That's how it works. God is the same way, and that's the table that this text is trying to explain to us, the truth he's trying to give to us that God is inviting us to. It's When I was pouring that wine, anybody in here that knows anything about wine, you were like angry almost. Like, how can he do such a waste? It's not a waste if it's water, which half of it was, right? It, water just keeps coming. It's, like, it's not a waste if, if I have an infinite supply, even if it's Chateau Lafitte. Like, it's not a waste. And that's what God is saying. You, I can't waste anything, friends, because I have a limitless supply. That's the table that God is inviting us to. And it's not just a physical, like... Yes, God feeds us physically, but what he's inviting us into, the table that he's, the life that he's inviting us into, it's a physical life, it's a spiritual life as well. If you have your Bibles, flip open with me over to John chapter 10. Now we've spent a little bit of time in John 10 throughout this series. Part of it is because this is the passage in John 10 where Jesus talks about being the good shepherd. I think Jesus was very specifically connecting the concept of shepherd and what King David does in Psalm 23 here as God is our shepherd. He's like, the Lord is our shepherd, and Jesus is like, I am that shepherd. I'm the good shepherd. In fact, that's what Jesus actually says. He says, I'm the good shepherd. I lay down my life for the sheep. 
That's verse 11. We're actually going to look at the verses just before that because Jesus kind of shares a story in verses 1 through 10. Now, if you have your Bible, uh, we always teach out the NIV here, but if you've got something else, that's fine. But this morning, I'd like for us to actually read it. It'll be up on the screen, out of the message version. This is John Peterson's kind of paraphrase translation. Uh, of the Bible, and sometimes he brings a richness to it. Uh, There's something he does with this that I I really enjoyed, and and I thought it might be helpful. So let's read it together. Um, This is Jesus beginning to speak about who he is and the kind of shepherd that he is, all right? This life that he's inviting people into to follow him. And he says this, he says, uh, let me set this before you as plainly as I can. If a person climbs over or through the fence of a sheep pen instead of going through the gate, you know he's up to no good. He's a sheep rustler. The shepherd walks right up to the gate. The gatekeeper opens the gate to him, and the sheep recognize his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he gets them all out, he leads them, and they follow because they're familiar with his voice. They won't follow a stranger's voice, but will scatter because they aren't used to the sound of it. Jesus told this simple story, but they had no idea what he was talking about. (laughs) I love that. So he tried again. Jesus said, I'll be explicit then. I am the gate for the sheep. All those others are up to no good. They're sheep stealers, every one of them. But the sheep didn't listen to them. I am the gate. Anyone who goes through me will be cared for. They'll freely go in and out and find pasture. A thief is only there to steal and kill and destroy. I came so that they can have real and eternal life, more and better life than they ever dreamed of. Now it's interesting to me what Peterson does here. Because in the NIV it says, I have come that they may have life and life to the full. Okay? Uh, life to the full, that, that word full right there is, is in the Greek a pregnant word. But Peterson does something with it. Jump back to that last slide real quick. Uh, Peterson, instead of just talking about life to the full, he actually uses like five different concepts to try to explain it. He says uh, that they can have real and eternal life more and better life than they ever dreamed of. He needs five different concepts to try to explain life to the full. And that's not an accident. Uh, The reason is because in English, we just don't have a word that really captures the richness, the depth of the word in Greek. Now, in Greek, it's the word uh, perisos. Perisos. Uh, And let me explain what that word means. Super abundant in quantity or superior in quality, by implication, it's excessive. Exceedingly abundantly above, beyond measure, more, extra, lavish. God is lavish. You see, when Jesus says life and life to the full, that word full there means abundant, more than you could handle, overflowing, a cup that overflows, like it's limitless, like you can't cap it, you can't count it, it's impossible to fully grasp and understand. That's the kind of lavish life that God is calling us into, that Jesus is inviting us into. He's like, yo, that's the table I'm talking about. You find it in me. Now, um, this is what I think the psalmist, what God this morning wants us to learn. That the table, the life that God calls us to is a life of abundance. It's overflowing. What God has, like it's not just enough, it's more than enough. 
that's the thing to believe. But I, I feel like so badly, I wish I could make every single person in here like really, not just like, oh yeah, like that makes sense. But I mean, believe it, like in your bones, like deep, right? But that's not something that I can do. I can't make you believe. I can't give you that kind of faith. Only God can actually do that. I can't change your mind. I can't change your heart. Only God can actually do that. But I want you to know something this morning. Even if you're watching us online, uh, the invitation that's being offered, that invitation is real. And I don't know where you're at. I don't know if you've heard about the table. Maybe you've been around people that have sat at that table, that life, that full life. But if you've never taken the invitation to come and accept Christ, to sit at his table, to experience the life that he offers, I just want you to know that that invitation is real. I can't force it. I can't convince you. I'm not going to be able to argue it in a way that's going to make you believe. But I just want you to know that it's real. And I don't talk about this theoretically, okay? I'm not just sharing this because like it's this theoretical thing that I learned in seminary and now I'm just like dumping it on you. I'm talking to you as somebody who is sitting at the table. I know it's real. Now, I don't deserve to be able to sit at the table. It's not that I'm like some really good dude, kind and awesome. And that's why like God was like, yeah, you get to come. No, quite honestly, friends, I will admit I walk away from the table way too often. I go to try to look and find where I can find fulfillment and satisfaction in other things. Job or family or material possessions or how people view me, my reputation. Like way too often I find myself trying to fill myself, give myself meaning. The problem is is every single time I realize that, that those cups are empty. Like that food that I try to feast on, it just makes me sick. And I find myself wandering back. And look, I'm a white male in America. I've got privilege. Like, like if anybody can go and find ways to get fulfillment, I can. I'm educated. I got connections. And yet every single time that I look to find my purpose or my identity in something outside of Jesus and the life that he offers, I'm always left wanting. And so I simply want to say to you today, that the invitation is available, but I'll never be able to prove it to you. But I want you to know that I don't speak just as one who knows about it intellectually. I've experienced it. And oh my goodness, friends, I want you to experience it as well. Like more than anything, like that's, that's why I do what I do. I don't care, like take away the paycheck, take away the whatever. I love telling people about how Jesus has changed my life, wrecked my life, reoriented my life, the life that I found in him, and I want that mm, so much. All right. It's not enough, though, simply to learn the truth. Now we also have to live the truth. You see, that's what Psalms 23, Psalm 23 is doing all the time. It's teaching us a, a truth, and then we're learning how to apply it, how to live it, how to actually make it transform who we are and what we're about. So living this truth means that our lives get reordered. Living this truth means that our lives get reordered. Flip over to our last passage this morning, Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8. Now this is where the Apostle Paul is actually uh, talking to the church in Rome in this letter that he's written. And he has just told them about this life. 
that is found in Jesus. The full life, the overflowing life. How God finds us and calls us and, and we get justified by Him. And, and then the sanctification that works itself out and how God's going to finish what He started in the glorified nature. And He's like, that's the full life. And, he, and then He goes on and He says these words. What then shall we say in response to these things? Verse 31. If God is for us, who can be against us? He's like, yo, what shall we say in response? He's like, look, if God is for you, who can be against you? And look what he says. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? He's like, look, if God was willing to give Jesus his one and only son, don't you think he'll give you whatever you need to live that life? To experience the, the fullness, the overflowing life that Jesus talked about? He's like, of course he will. Have you ever heard of the Dubai First Royal Card? No, have you? <laughs> I'd never heard of it before either. Do you know what I had heard of? I had heard of the American Express Black Card. You heard of that? The Amex Black is... Uh, is in a credit card that you can only get if you are invited to get it. You can't apply for it. In fact, I heard that the Amex Black card, to get one, you have to actually spend upwards of 250 k a year on credit. If you spend that much, you will get an invitation to get an Amex Black card, okay? Supposedly, it doesn't have a limit on what you can spend. Uh, there's about 17,000 people in the world that have an Amex black card. The Dubai First Royal credit card is the most exclusive card on the planet. There's rumored, although nobody knows for sure, to be less than 200 people in the world that have this credit card. Uh, literally, it's made with 24 karat gold and has a real diamond in the middle of it, and that's just the card you're supposed to carry around, all right? Uh, listen to uh, what you get with the Dubai First credit card. Zero credit limits and no restrictions with guaranteed approval of all charges regardless of expense. I was reading a, uh, an article about it and someone who represented this card uh, said, well, if you're on a yacht and you decide that you would like to buy that yacht, you should be able to and you can. Excuse me? You get a dedicated relationship manager and lifestyle manager assigned to your account, available 24 hours a day, who can arrange everything from tickets to trips on a private jet. There are no specified benefits. Instead, cardholders have unlimited access and privileges anywhere in the world. The most exclusive credit card in the world. I promise you, you and I will never even see one. <laughs> I'm not talking about having one. I'm saying you won't even ever see one of these things. If your dad came up to you and gave you that credit card, would your life look any different? Don't try to play all cool with me like, no, man, I'm cool with what I got. Baloney! Y'all would have a different looking life. I'm just telling you that right now. I know I would. 
Shoot, you think I'd be painting the stairs on my back deck to finish the, no, I'd be paying somebody to pay to paint those stairs. I'm a, do you think I'd be driving around a 20-year-old Volvo station wagon that's been dribbling oil in my garage for the last five years? No way! Look, if we, <laughs> that's right, no way. Look, if we had that, I'm just saying, like, some things in your life would change. No limit. That's exactly what the psalmist is trying to tell us that we have. It's exactly what the psalmist is trying to say to me. He's like, T, that's what you have. You've got a dad that has no limits. He can't waste anything because he's, he's limitless. But friends, we have to actually believe it. And when we believe the truth, we get to start living it. You see, if I actually believed it, right, that God is overflowing, it ought to change how I act, right? I can be generous with whatever I have because I know I'm not going to run out. I can be humble and gentle because I don't need to prove anything. I can stand up for the oppressed and the vulnerable without fearing the cost because I know that I already have more than I need. I can obey God when it's not popular to do so because I already have an abundance of family and friends. I can love my enemies because I'm flooded with God's love and acceptance already. I can trust God in the valley even when it feels like death because I know that he's with me. Friends, that's what it looks like to not just believe but to live the truth. That's where the life overflowing, the full life, the abundant life, the life without limits actually is found. It's found when we believe the truth and begin to live the truth. And we see that our dad actually does have the Jesus first royal card that he gave to us. That's what he wants for us. And that's the invitation. That's the invitation to a table, to a feast, to a life that's overflowing. Who needs that? Who in here right now, you know that you are not finding fulfillment in all the places that you're looking for it. We have to believe it. But we also have to accept the invitation. We have to say yes. We have to say, all right, Jesus, I believe. I don't get it all. I don't understand everything. God, there's still some stuff that I got some questions about. But God, I know I've been looking in a lot of different places and I keep coming up empty. So Jesus, today, I will give myself to you. Um, I remember when I was uh, in eighth grade, the end of the year, Longfellow Middle School, Flint, Michigan, some crazy person had the idea that for a graduation trip, they should put all of us on a bus and drive three hours down to Cedar Point. I was so stinking excited, man. Oh my goodness, like this is going to be amazing. All my friends, all a few hundred of us get there early in the morning. They got the buses lined up. We're all excited. I barely slept the night before. We get on the bus. We're all chatting and talking, and about halfway down there, I'm so excited, but then I remembered I'm scared to death of roller coasters. <laughs> like, no joke. I was so scared of roller coasters. Now, to be fair, I hadn't been on a roller coaster in about, I don't know, six, seven years, something like that. I was seven years old when my dad forced me to go on a roller coaster with him at some little theme park. It wasn't even a big roller coaster. 
But I remember we went up to the top, and then we dropped over that first hill, and I lost my stomach. Like, my stomach was somewhere up in my throat, and I was so scared out of my head. Like, I was freaking out. So I said, like, roller coasters are obviously an invention of the devil himself. Like, that's all I thought about roller coasters. So here we are. We're on our way to Cedar Point, and I'm like, yo, what am I going to do all day at Cedar Point? Because I sure as heck ain't riding no roller coaster. Those things is like the devil. I get there, and I find my buddy James, who's also just as scared of roller coasters as I am. So James, and now, now, mind you, it's Flint, all right? Like, you can't act like you're scared of a roller coaster, right? I ain't scared of no coaster, man. I just don't want to do it. I like the IMAX way better. <laughs> so we went to the IMAX once, and it was good. But the second time and the third time, IMAX wasn't so good anymore. And we kept getting off uh, uh, the, or getting out of the IMAX, and we would see people getting off the roller coasters, right? And they're all happy, and they're high-fiving, and we're walking through the park, and we can hear people on the coasters, and they're screaming with, like, fear slash delight, and they're all excited, and, and they want to just keep going and doing more, and we're like, it can't be that awesome, can it? Like, there's, there's no way that it's that great. And so literally, that's what we did all day. We had to be back at the bus at 6.30. And finally, at 5.45, James and I look at each other and like, should we try one? And we got up the courage to go stand in line for the corkscrew. All right, now, back then even, the corkscrew was not the biggest or the baddest coaster at Cedar Point, but it was a big coaster with a big drop and three vertical upside-down loop-de-loop-de things. And so we got in line, and we're like giddy, right? We're like, this is going to be so awesome. be so great. I'm so scared. I'm so scared. I'm scared. I'm scared. Half an hour, we get through. 6.15, we got to be back at the bus at 6.30, and we finally make our way up to our car. And they open up the things and people get off. And all I want to do is walk straight through to the exit. Like I wanted to walk, you know what I'm saying? You've seen those people, right? They just walk straight through the car, right to the exit. I wanted to, but James got in first and that fool put his thing down. I couldn't get past him. Like, no. So I sat down, I pulled down the heart, buckled up. And then you just sit there, right? And you're like trying not to wet your pants. We stopped talking. Like at that point, we weren't even talking. We were just holding on tight. <sighs> Starting to hyperventilate. And then finally it starts to go, you know? Comes out and then it starts going up. Clickety-clackety-clickety-clack. Clickety-clack. And it's a slow. Why do they do that? That's like the worst thing. So slow. Going up the hill. And you can't even look right or left because the bars are right there. All you can see is ahead. And it's just the sky getting closer and closer. Man, I'm freaking out. We get to the top, right? And all of a sudden, we go over the first hill. And it's like, you're like, yeah, and we go up and down and through, and we get back, right? James and I get off, and we're like, oh, dude, that was amazing, and we're like high-fiving, and we're laughing, we're like, dude, we got to do another one, we got to do another one, but we couldn't, because we were almost late for the bus, and, and I remember I was going home for that three-hour trip, and all I could think about was how awesome the ride was and how I wished I had done it earlier in the day. Friends, some of you uh, have tasted the table. Uh, you've believed the truth, and, and, and maybe there's even been some times when you lived the truth, but you've walked away. Maybe in the last few months, maybe it's been the last few years, you've walked away from the table and you've looked for fulfillment and identity 
in other things, and it keeps coming up empty, and you know it. You found yourself stuck in the IMAX. God is inviting you and I back to the table again. So what I want to do right now is I'd like, I'd like to pray for us. You see, God wants you to experience the roller coaster of faith. To get in the car with Jesus. And yeah, there's going to be some times when it feels like your stomach is dropping out. There's going to be some times when you're on a high and it feels awesome. And some times when you're flying down a hill and you think you're going to pass out. And sometimes when you're upside down and twisted around and you don't know which way is up in life. And God wants to say to you, I'm here. Will you experience with me the life that I have for you? Because when you get off that ride, you will be shrieking with excitement because it is worth it. And God wants to say, will you trust me today? So I want to pray right now. If you'd bow your head and close your eyes. If you've never accepted Christ, if you've never given your life to Christ, and this is for those of you that are watching us online right now, I want to give you an opportunity to invite Jesus. This could be the first time that you ever say, Jesus, I take the invitation to the table. I want that life that Torin keeps talking about, the life that you offered. So right now, just say, Jesus, I don't know it all, but I believe. Jesus, I believe in your death and your resurrection. Please come into my life and take over. Forgive me. I give you permission to become the king of my life. Jesus, I want to follow you. I want to let you lead me. Today, I give myself to you. If that was you today, you're here. Uh, we want to know online. There's going to be a little button you can click. We want to know that because we want to celebrate with you. And if you're here in our audience live, if, if that was you today, I want to know, just raise your hand. I'd love to be able to pray with you and celebrate if there's anybody here. Now, for the second set of us, those of us who've been to the table, but maybe we have walked away, maybe we've wandered away from the table and we're trying to find other things to fulfill us, to find our identity. Maybe today God is inviting you back. He's saying, hey, I'm glad that you're at the park, but we need to get back on the ride, invite you to the table. And that, if that's you, I just want to pray for you right now. You can pray to God and just say, God, I, I'm, I'm coming back. Jesus, I believe in the life that is found in you, an overflowing life. But Jesus, I don't want to just believe. I want to live it out. I want to act on it. And so, Jesus, I'm coming back to you today. Thank you for your overflowing cup of grace and mercy that you pour out on my life. God, I'm recommitting myself to you, to, to following you, God, to loving you. Help me. I know it's not going to be perfect, I know there's going to be some bumps in the road, but God, help me. I'm coming back. And if that was you today online, let us know. If there's anybody here, I would love, we'd love to know because we would just love to celebrate and pray. Just go ahead and raise your hand. Yes, thank you. Amen. Father God, the life that we find in you is a life that is overflowing. And Father, we know that you're the only place that we're going to find our identity and our fulfillment. And yet way too often, God, I find myself walking away. I should know better, but God, I still do it. Thank you that you are a God of such grace and mercy. You always invite me back in. You invite us back in. 
Thank you that you are an invitational God. Jesus, we want to be a church that doesn't just believe the truths. We want to be a church that then lives those truths out in our lives so that we can be generous, so that we can love our enemies, so that we can stand up for you even when it's unpopular. Father, that we can find the fullness of life in you. God, let us be a church that is transformed by this truth. We love you. Thank you for loving us. It's in your beautiful and powerful name we pray. Amen.